Testing, testing. Fuzzy Zeller. Paging Dr. Zeller. Not a doctor. <laughs> Not anymore. Not after what he did to Tiger. Not with that attitude. Live from the Mundangerous Apartment of Brass in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 84 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're talking about how to play that elementally touched race, the Genasi. But first, in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign, the crew of His Enduring Light ties up some loose ends, and the Fisted In punches out in the character Creation Forge. So just a reminder, we have Total Party Thrill t-shirts available on TeePublic. There's a link in the show notes. They are $20. And they're very pretty. And you will be very pretty if you wear one. Yeah, a few people have bought them and are sending pictures on Twitter of their shirts in the wild. So I'm excited about that. Yeah, they're terribly attractive. <laughs> the people. All right. So we also have new Unearthed Arcana, and Wizards of the Coast has announced this is going to be a regular thing now each week. Yeah, they just keep coming. Yeah, I, they're clearly gearing up for a supplement. And judging from the topics we've gotten recently, is there maybe a DMG2 in the works? Uh, yeah, I, man, I really hope this isn't a split thing. Like it, it, it's looking like it because they keep adding new rules in addition to the different classes, but man, I just I wish it would just be players. Yeah. But how useful is this new one? This is mass combat. Uh, I think you might have a few thoughts about this. I do. I wrote about it on mundangerous.com. Um, I just don't understand why people want mass combat and why Wizards of the Coast doesn't just tell them a better way to do it. I understand why people want mass combat. Because they're big, dumb idiots. <laughs> this is. These are bad rules. Yeah, they're bad. Yeah. Um, so basically, you take the CR of the monsters in your group. Which is already a terrible rubric by which to do anything. Okay, whatever. But based on the number of them, you end up with a battle rating, which is your attack and your defense. And then you basically roll an attack <laughs> versus their defense uh, on every every time you take an action. The thing is, the only actions you can really take are defend and attack and like some movement stuff. I love that there's new math to figure out the new arbitrary number that we assign to the difficulty of this new creature. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, there's there's also like a commander which gives you your initiative score and then also helps you with morale. But morale isn't something you d- interact with directly. Morale is just a way of losing, basically. Because uh, if you if you lose if you take a certain amount of casualty, you have to make a morale check. Yeah, it's just a way for the GM to say, I'm going to end this combat early, and they run away. Yeah. Or, yeah. <laughs> I, I, the thing is, like, they're, they're different layers that make it interesting, but the underlying combat is not tactical because all you can do is attack or defend. And, and it says, you know, based on, you know, the battlefield layout or having allied units, you know, on either side of you or different things, you can give advantage and disadvantage. But that's a binary. So it doesn't matter that you have the higher ground and you're dug in and you have reinforcing units to your left and your right and you have superior firepower. You just get advantage. Yeah, this system isn't even really necessary because all it's really doing is 
taking a bunch of creatures that are basically the same, you know, troops essentially, and merging them into one big creature. Like, yeah. This is something you can do on the fly in your head very yeah. easily. Exactly. And I mean, I always, if I have to do it at this level, I use swarm rules. I yeah. turn monsters into swarms because mm-hmm. that's way easier to wrap your head around and easier to represent on the table. And those rules already exist. It, they do. And in fact, that's what the UA says to do if you've got PCs entering combat alongside these units. It says use the, the gang up rules from the DMG. So it's like not even really adding anything to the most exciting part of you know the battle of five armies is you wading into the middle of it and like carving a swath of destruction right like that's cool that's cinematic uh but you don't get that out of these rules you just get like how do three armies approach each other and fight and roll dice and it's just adding numbers together slowly it's two giant mechs standing in front of each other and slugging it out yeah awesome but there is one piece of this that is amazing and they should blow this out into all of the rules and that's what D&D should recommend which is the critical events because that's how you make mass combat really cool when you have two armies facing off against each other in this brilliant bloody battle it's a question of what do you do as the PC to tip the balance in your favor right like what are you doing are you infiltrating behind enemy lines and, and sapping their supplies are you assassinating their general are you you know making a desperate play to form an alliance with a neighboring kingdom to bail you out right those are the cool things you know like are you making the death star trench run in the midst of this naval fight that's awesome but like the the actual naval fight is just not that interesting yeah just narrated in the background exactly like none of that needs to be mechanical like oh wow that ship explodes it's crazy you can feel the heat coming off it. Well, the ship exploding might be the complication that puts you into action, right? But that's the narration. That's what makes the story. <laughs> yeah. Like, or or ten ships are exploding in the background. Whatever. Right. You know, mechanically speaking, it's still at character scale. Exactly. Which, like, it's disappointing that this critical event se- section, I hesitate to call it a section. It's like four small paragraphs that basically say, hey, maybe you should do this. Yeah, but it is the best four paragraphs in probably all of Unearthed Arcana, in my opinion. <laughs> like, honestly. Because mass combat is hard to handle at the table. We did a whole episode on on scale, and that's something that we talked about, right? Is And it's something they mentioned in this article, too, is, like, the difference between, you know, being at 30,000 feet watching armies fight and being at 20 feet watching a character fight. I'm glad they mentioned it. There's just no advice here. That's true. That's true. So for me, take the critical events section of this and take it to heart because that's a great way to handle armies clashing. That's right. Speaking of clashing. Are we about to talk about my outfit? (laughs) Well, you're not wearing a TP t-shirt, so. I know, it it clashes with the world now. (laughs) Last week, we introduced the actual party in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign who spend the vast majority of their time clashing with everyone they meet. Uh, yeah, and each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Shane, where are we in that campaign? Okay, so the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign is our Dark Heresy Rogue Trader game, where the players are members of a crew of a Rogue Trader vessel. If you found Total Party Throw looking for an Eberron game, that's Morning Glory, and we finished that campaign uh, recapping it from episode 0 to episode 73, so you can go back through the back catalog and find that. In the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign, our Warhammer 40k game, we have finished the prologue, 
which was a group of acolytes sent by an inquisitor to investigate heresy on a small agro world. And they royally screwed it up. They sure did. And now we've rolled new characters mm-hmm. uh, who will become the crew of the rogue trader vessel, His Enduring Light. So we've met the party. That's Doc, the explorator and part-time Medicae, Draco and Trank, the arch militants, Echo, the void master, Flare, the astropath, and Trix, the seneschal. And they all basically are the, you know, the command squad of the rogue trader, Elias Lionheart, who... Uh, he's weak-willed, to say the least. And old. And kind of a failure. Yeah. Like, at <laughs> everything. And doesn't really leave the ship or really his room ever. Yeah, he's pretty unambitious. Uh, and Like, he's pretty sure he's about to lose his warrant of trade, so he just doesn't care anymore. He's really kind of the ideal GM NPC if you're a player in a party. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, you guys run things, just don't screw it up too bad. <laughs> well... <laughs> Whoops. Just just make sure I always have fresh Amasek, please. <laughs> so you are currently in the service of an Imperial Inquisitor named Bones. Wait a minute. Where have we heard that name before? Well, Bones sent the team of Acolytes down to Agroworld. Yes, indeed he did. Uh, and he pressed you into service to deliver them to the planet. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you've been reporting back on events, uh, and he's figured out that, wow, this was a, this was a royal screw job. Yep. That team that you assembled. <laughs> Idiots. So what did he tell you to do? He told this new party to kill the old party. Which is convenient as a, <laughs> as a GM. <laughs> Uh, and also terrifying as uh, someone who had helped create members of that party. Because, remember, they were originally created as part of a one-shot. So we made them combat monsters. Mm-hmm. Which is why they weren't very good at any kind of parlaying once they actually got to the surface of the planet. Which is why they made a total mess of things, right? Yes, exactly. So now, these new characters that we have just rolled up, that we have created to be, you know, explorers and negotiators. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, a well-rounded party have been tasked with killing these combat beasts mm-hmm. yep fortunately about half of them are, the, are in the infirmary <laughs> yep <laughs> and we have the element of surprise of course two of them are uh, assassins and right yeah in so, pretty good condition yeah so you've you've decided that you'll take out the the three members of the of the acolytes that are in the medicaid recovering mm-hmm. figuring you'll have the element of surprise while the remainder have finished their work and are returning up to your ship from the surface. So you'll kind of like kill their friends while they're in transit and then deal with them when they get on board. So no one ever knows that you did it. That's exactly how it worked out. Oh yeah. Something like that. Yeah. (laughs) So you ambush them in the Medicaid, catch them only partially armed, I think is fair to say. I mean, yeah, we built characters who are also paranoid. Yeah. So (laughs) even undergoing surgery, they still were armed. That was, yeah, that was my favorite part was it was just like, wait, they would not have done that. I was like, really? And like, they would have done that. Yeah, they absolutely would have done that. (laughs) Uh, I will say uh, when uh, my character Trank, um, new character Trank, who is an assassin and head of security uh, on the ship, once we like as a party found out that, oh, we're supposed to like, kill our old party the only thing i wanted to have happen is to have my new character kill my old character Uh uh-huh and we'll find out if that worked (laughs) (laughs) so yeah so you guys initiated the ambush 
and started trading wounds pretty heavily. And and I mean, they were fighting back hard. Yeah, that's what they were built for. That's all they could do. Right, right. And I think what happened is you had killed one character, Cat, and and she had been fully equipped. Seeing the situation turn against them, you know, grossly outnumbered and down one ally, uh, your old character, Friends Job, pulled a grenade off of her body. Yep. And proceeded to do the exact thing that had put him in the Medicaid in the first place. Uh, a grenade cascade. Triggered a grenade cascade. Yeah. <laughs> so that fried the party, and I mean, mostly himself as well. But it did set off a strange event as well, didn't it, Ishan? Well, <laughs> Trank is head of security. He's also in charge of making sure that people don't screw things up. Mm-hmm. So he ordered the rest of the party to go into the Medicaid bay and they don't come out until they're dead. And if anyone if anyone leaves, I'm going to shoot them because that's what I'm good at. So if you chase them out, that's great, too. I'll just shoot them. And Dark Heresy has rules for this <laughs> yes. that, that specifically like require you to state what triggers your Overwatch fire. Mm-hmm. And you said anyone. If anyone leaves the infirmary, I will shoot them. Yes. And then we rolled randomly <laughs> for damage on the various wound tables. And one of your allies, uh, poor astropath in over his head, Flare, mm-hmm. got flung back five meters in a random direction. Which was towards the door, directly through the door into my line of fire. I had to, I had to pop a fate point in order to not shoot him right in the head. Yeah, because you were gonna like crit him, right? And then you had to like roll, you had to re-roll that to fail. I was using my sniper rifle, and Trank is specced for one-hit assassinations. Yes, <laughs> and we were like, I guess I have to roll it. Oh, that's not good. Yeah. Uh, fate point re-roll. Oh, that's. Much better, and by that I mean much worse. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So you pulled that shot, uh, managed to miss your friends, dealt with the exploded Medicaid. Uh, I think you guys then just kind of had mop-up duty because the survivors were pretty weak, and you guys were way worse off, like multiple burn fate points. Yeah, and we decided that, you know, the rest of the people who are heading back to the ship from the surface of the planet, let's just chalk up the shuttle as lost <laughs> and just blast it out of the void. Yeah, because on that shuttle were the two assassins yeah. who were definitely fully equipped <laughs> and likely would have brought recruits from their competing assassin temples as well. Uh, our party doesn't know that there are assassin temples. Oh, I know. Right? Like, I know. <laughs> play, players at the table, we know. Yeah. <laughs> Which is why I hate this planet. <laughs> You should hate the GM, not the game. (laughs) All right. So having met the requirements for Inquisitor Bones, uh, you feel like job well done. You know, one shuttle, one Medicaid down. But otherwise, you're alive. You're intact. Let's go loot the bodies. Yeah, but they blew up. Well, they had quarters on the ship. So you figured, let's see what they left behind. (laughs) Traps. (laughs) So many traps. (laughs) And we'll find out what happens next, (laughs) next week. All right, so this week we are continuing our series on playing non-human characters. We were going to cover halflings, but we did have a timely request on Twitter to talk about Genasi, which actually is one of our favorite races. Shane, you're actually playing one right now. Yeah, I didn't know it was my favorite race because I never really thought about Genasi until... I had the opportunity to play one in Dark Sun, and now I really like them. That just shows your privilege. That's true. 
I am privileged to not have hair that's on fire. Do, so do fifth edition Genasi, do, do fire Genasi have like hair on fire? Because they used to have like their hair is flames. They they can't. Yeah, that's like the most extreme expression of elemental, and like the most subtle is it's just like kind of a glowing red. Awesome. All right. So what the hell are Genasi? So they're plain touched humans who have elemental in their bloodline. Uh, usually it's genies. You know that? Yeah, that's just not natural. That's gross. Yeah. Um, and so, and they're they're very tied to their respective elements. So there's fire, water, earth, air. Uh, in previous editions, there were also para elemental. Yeah. So it was like an ooze genasi uh-huh. and things like that. Silt. Yeah. And, yeah. And then yeah. The, the, Ash. There were abyssal genasi as well, which were just the corrupted versions. So like it was like cinder. Wait. <laughs> so like el- elemental plus like a bit of tiefling. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Jesus. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, so. <laughs> They've been muddled with quite a bit. Yeah. For our purposes, we'll just talk about the true elemental Genasi. Yeah, that's perfectly fine. So this dates back to second edition, and like so many things that we love comes from Planescape. That's right. Thanks, Monty. So they were also in third edition and fourth edition, and now, uh, and, and that was in Forgotten Realms, so they were introduced there. Um, they've also been featured in Dark Sun at different points. Uh, and then in fifth edition, they are part of the Princes of the Apocalypse. Uh, campaign arc and then they were released for everybody in the Elemental Evil Players Companion um, via PDF so that's cool previously they've sort of been treated as separate races right like there is an air genasi there is a fire genasi and they all have like different stats in 5th edition we've just got one genasi race and then four sub races one for each elemental type which I think is much more streamlined and smooth yeah it makes it much cleaner Mm mm-hmm so why would you want to play a Genasi? Why did you pick a Genasi, actually, for your character, Kid? Truthfully, it's because we're playing in Dark Sun, and we were in the desert. and <laughs> So you wanted fire resistance. We were, we were getting <laughs> murdered by exhaustion checks. <laughs> and so I figured, there's I, I just want a character who's going to be able to survive in the desert. So uh-huh. I, went, I went looking for fire resistance, and it was either Tiefling, which doesn't really fit in Dark Sun, or mm-hmm. Genasi, which definitely fit in dark sun so i did nice uh but yeah so one reason to play is just that inherent magic right like they're um a race that is part elemental so they have elemental magic kind of throughout them yeah i think lots of times when people are creating their character they're like oh yeah i want to be like a fire-based sorcerer or you know i'm a cleric who channels the power of the storm Mm -hmm. all those kinds of things and that works you know just fine for any kind of race but as a genasi you can start right off the bat you know at first level or really from birth as someone who is innately tied to one of these elements Mm -hmm. it's also really great if you want a character who only knows part of their heritage right because a lot of times in the story of it right the elemental doesn't stick around to be a parent (laughs) so so you you might have a mother uh, but no father. You have a father who raised you, but no mother. Yeah. Great granddad had an earth elemental fetish. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and sometimes it's not necessarily like a coupling. Sometimes it's just, you know, the magic of the plains seeps into an area and like pregnant women give birth to Genasi. Yeah, that's. I think that's how it's supposed to be in Dark Sun because they're, mm-hmm. they're seen more as like omens and uh, like blessed by the elementals. Mm-hmm. Um. The other, the other cool thing about Genasi is that idea of similar to the half-elf or the half-orc is that they're split between worlds, right? So 
they don't really fit into human society because they are such strange versions of humans, but then they're also completely ill-equipped to go to the elemental plane of fire or yeah. the elemental plane of air, you know, but they're scarcely welcome there by true elementals either. Um, so that leads to, you know, like exiles or uh, characters without a native homeland or, you know, the, the sort of um, wanderer and searcher who's just looking for a place in the world and is perfect for an adventurer. Yeah. You're, you're like murder <laughs> hobo to the core. <laughs> Why are you adventuring? Uh, look at me. <laughs> my feet are made of water <laughs> exactly <laughs> my hair looks like it's always submerged in water Do you see how it floats I, and i mean for me the reason the other reason right the non-mechanical reason i like chinasi is just they're funny colored people with flamboyant personalities and the best hair it could be flames yeah it could be crystals if you're an earth chinasi it's amazing you can be gray or red or, or blue. blue blue is cool earth elementals are green yeah if you want to look weird but still be human and not necessarily want to be like touched by evil right or you know half dragon yeah genasi is <laughs> the way to go exactly so we've talked a little about what they look like but let's let's dig into their physiology so they're basically humans but they have a much longer life. They live to about 120 years, and they know primordial. Mm -hmm. I'll say that when I run games, I always like to split up the language primordial into the four elemental languages, Orin, Aquan, Ignin, and Terran. And so, like, I would give a particular type of Genasi just that one language. Yeah. More work, but I find it more fun. Sure. And then stats-wise, they all get a plus two bonus to constitution and then they get a plus one based on which element subrace you choose and it follows pretty much like you think it would air gives you dex earth gives you strength fire gives you intelligence and water gives you wisdom i think fire intelligence that pairing is like the only one where you're like oh hmm, okay not charisma yeah i would have thought it was charisma mm -hmm. but what it's else? fine yeah <laughs> And then you get some sort of interesting adventuring types of abilities based on your element. So an air genasi can hold their breath indefinitely. I like that they didn't say you don't need to breathe. It's that you can hold your breath. So if you fall unconscious or you're incapacitated, you naturally begin to breathe. You know, because like you're an air genasi, you, you need the air, you know, but you can will yourself not to. Mm-hmm. Earth Genasi ignore difficult terrain made of earth or stone. Fire gives you dark vision. Although it is red and black. Yeah, it's like yeah. grayscale, but instead of white, you get red. red. <laughs> it's like gray tinted or red tinted grayscale. Uh, and then fire resistance. And water Genasi get acid resistance. Because there's no resistance to water. <laughs> <laughs> they can uh, breathe underwater and they get a swim speed. And then they also all get an inherent spell casting so generally it's once per long rest um so air can cast levitate earth can cast pass without trace which is like melding into stone basically yeah it's an interesting way to sort of flavor that right because mm -hmm. it's it's a stealth bonus exactly uh fire gives you the produce flame cantrip which is kind of funny because it mostly gives light which yeah. you don't need because you have dark vision <laughs> uh, but it can be used as an attack as well and then they also get Burning Hands as a first level spell. And then Water gives you the Shape Water cantrip. 
and then they can cast create or destroy water as a second level spell. Yeah, these are mostly flavor abilities, but in 5th edition, all the racial spells that you get tend to be. Yeah, I mean, burning hands as a first level spell is useless Woo-hoo. by like 5th level. <laughs> so You can burn all your papers. Yeah, I mean, that's it. When that's the cops it's, come. Right. Yeah. Let me burn down this library. <laughs> <laughs> so for your Genasi, when you're deciding what exactly they look like, there are it totally runs the gamut. You can basically make them as crazy looking as you want. Yeah, so you can play with color. You can also play with, you know, style, um, anything that kind of makes it fit into your element, right? Like they say the Earth Genasi uh, always seems to have mud on them, even when they're, no matter how much they bathe. Right, or it could just look like you're made of crystal. Right. People might think you're a crystal golem. Exactly. It could be that crazy. <laughs> Yeah, you can definitely uh, pick sort of elemental, an elemental appearance that makes it very, very clear that you're not human. Right. I mean, or it can be more subtle. I think the the intent, though, is that you don't pass as human. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you definitely look unique from yeah. a lineup of humans. Although I like the idea of a Genasi who, like, wants to pass and, like, does a lot of things to sort of you know, get around it, like has an iron skull cap that they always wear, yeah. you know, hide the fire hair <laughs> or uh, like just constant disguise self. <laughs> and then they sometimes have these, you know, smaller kind of flavor traits. So um, the air genasi has like a faint breeze that seems to always surround them. Or like, yeah, I like the idea of like the, the model walking down the street who has somebody, like walking in front of them, blowing the fan in their face, so their hair is always just like perfectly tussled in the wind. Air genasi. That's an air genasi. Yeah. <laughs> uh, fire has the faint smell of brimstone, and as we talked about earlier, water elementals like their hair looks, or sorry, water genasi look like their hair is submerged, so it's just kind of free floating. That's weird. Yeah, that one's kind of weird. <laughs> <laughs> Medusa. Yeah, that'd be quite unsettling, actually. <laughs> So how about Genasi culture? Is there a Genasi culture? Well, I'd say there's sort of like four Genasi cultures. You know, um, Player's Handbook say they tend toward neutral. Makes sense because they're touched by a, an element that doesn't have any proclivity toward law or chaos or good or evil. Yeah. I, I would say there's not really a Genasi society though, right? Because they're not really welcome in as far as elementals even have a society they're not really welcome there and they're they're so rare in the world that it doesn't really speak of genasi kind of pairing up and forming groups yeah i think the closest you would get would be like if a genasi was living in the city of brass on the elemental plane of fire right it's more tolerable for mortals um because it's not like quite as it's not literally engulfed in flame all the time right but like that's a society that's just it's sort of lawful evil right yeah and it's not really a fire genasi society as much as it is just the society of the place they reside Mm -hmm. right so and i think that's the takeaway is that they're gonna definitely mirror wherever they're from they're gonna mirror that society's reaction to them so an open and welcoming society is going to treat them like anybody else like a more closed-minded or um you know a more evil society is going to try and exploit them or drive them out yeah and i think you can sort of divide the four into two 
general personality types, right? The like fire and air are outgoing and free willed, and then water and earth are sort of more stoic and calm. Yeah. And so those, I think, will react to uh, the society at large in in very different ways. You know, like if you have a sort of um, caste-based society that says, you know, you do these things because this is who you are, it's much more likely that you'll have fire or air genasi from that society become adventurers or leave. Yeah, they're they're going to rebel. (laughs) Right, or or get in trouble and end up like in jail. Right. Whereas it's much more likely that a water or an earth genasi in a society like that is going to become part of that society, like be used as like a guard or or a soldier or something like that, a spellcaster. Yeah, I mean, they actually talk about in the fifth edition entry that earth and water genasi are often solitary. Mm-hmm. Like they, they leave society and look outside of the city. Um, they might, might join a smaller group that kind of more aligns with them and that um, water especially tend to be like mariners and travelers because they want to be close to the sea. <laughs> Water Genasi as pirate. Yeah. <laughs> Yar. Hey, not worried about uh, going overboard. That's right. Yeah, and I like the idea that like there's an Earth Genasi who just walks out into the wilderness. No one can find them, pass without trace. Right. They just kind of sit under a tree for a hundred years, think about things. Or, you know, into like a dwarven settlement. Yeah, right. right. I'm going to hang out with the dwarves. The dwarves are like, yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah, you're a little tall, but <laughs> can you swing a hammer? <laughs> so let's talk about family ties, because uh, because family is really at the core of what the Genasi are, right? And and notably their lack of family. <laughs> so what does childhood look like for a Genasi? A lot of it is going to depend on what your parents are, right? It is possible that you are born to two humans because of the the place they live in is suffused with elemental energy. Yep. And well, you know, if if this is a more sort of like backward society, they may not know what you are. It could be that others of your kind were like killed or murdered or sacrificed, you know? So it, you're probably very, very rare in those types of societies. Mm-hmm. You might've been cast out and, you know, had to live on your own. Perhaps that is how you discovered uh, the different kinds of abilities that you can can do, right? You, An air genasi levitates into the trees to get fruit that no one else can. Yeah, I doubt a fire genasi is going to be able to use burning hands multiple times in a city. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's only once a day, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> day two, you're in jail. <laughs> but in uh, much more civilized or even maybe like ritualized or religious or arcane societies, it's quite possible that you are seen as like a blessed event, a a gift from the plains. Right. The other thing to think about is that a lot of Genasi are just going to have the one parent, Mm -hmm. right? So there's going to be those types of struggles in a medieval society of not having that split, right? So any type of kind of orphan story or, you know, seeking out that second parent would make a lot of sense for a Genasi child as well. I think it's also likely that a Genasi ends up being raised by an organization. Yeah. You know, maybe they're, I mean, even in a society where they're seen as a good omen, maybe they're taken away. Yeah. I mean, also if you have churches that, you know, religious affiliations to elements, Mm -hmm. um, that organization might want to take in a Genasi as well. Maybe a temple devoted to the elements. Right. Maybe specifically evil elements. (laughs) (laughs) 
I don't know if you've ever heard of that. <laughs> I don't know. I, mm, <laughs> I feel like somebody went back there at some point. That temple of evil elements. I guess we'll never know. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe you didn't have a great family life or maybe you didn't really know your family. But what if you want to make a new family? How a Genasi romance? It's probably difficult. <laughs> you know, I mean, when you're like persona non grata in a lot of societies, it's hard to find a mate. <laughs> and literally my hair is on fire. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that there's also a divide between air and fire, right? And their kind of tendency towards flamboyancy and, and their feelings of superiority and, and wanting to flaunt that superiority. I think it's going to be a lot more difficult to find somebody who's on board with you uh, versus like earth and water who are kind of more... Um, withdrawn and, and would shy away from that kind of boldness of, of feeling. Yeah, not many chances to meet people 100 feet underground. Right. Except the Swerf Neblin. Sexy, sexy Swerf Neblin. Yeah. <laughs> Great. <laughs> but Genasi are rare. So if two Genasi meet, I mean, I feel like they're, they're going to try and hit it off, right? You mean of the same type? No, I... I I'd be curious, maybe even across types. Really? Yeah. I, especially if you're not the diametric opposition, right? Like fire and air seems like they would get along fine and, and earth and water as well. But fire and water? I mean, hey, Paul Abdul said opposites attract. So. Right, yeah. <laughs> James Taylor, you know, fire and rain. <laughs> but I think there's a there's a shared experience there, right, that would kind of make them kindred spirits regardless of the elemental differences. Mm, mm-hmm. I, I feel like that would probably overpower the sort of like elemental opposition because they're not true elementals, right? They don't actually cancel each other out. They're just, they're still humanoids. Right. They're not like bound by their innate nature to fight until one is burnt. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so how do Genasi interact with other kinds of people that they come across in their travels? Well, being a strange race, we always have to start with how obvious are your features? You know, Mm -hmm. like how rare and unique do you look? Yeah, when you're playing a Genasi or any kind of um, weird or strange looking character, I think it's important to really sort of define exactly how it is that you look. Because it's really helpful for a GM to know what NPCs are encountering. Because each NPC might have a particular reaction to a particular kind of thing right like if your skin looks like cinders that is going to cause reactions in people who've had you know issues with fire mages yeah or or likewise if you're an earth elemental and it looks like your skin is crystallizing they might want to treat you for that right like you you might be sick that looks bad And then I think, you know, on the on the way more subtle end, if you're trying to pass as human, uh, you're going to get basically the the broader interaction that humans have wherever you are, right? Mm-hmm. So you're going to be kind of looked down upon by uh, elves. You're going <laughs> to... Dwarves are kind of going to think of you as loose cannons, you know, those sorts of reactions. Yeah. And then there also might be a bit of like an uncanny valley effect where other humans are like, I mean, yeah, you're... Human-ish. You're one of us. Yeah. <laughs> but there's just something off about that kid. Right. What about actual real elementals? Mommy. So they say genies don't really care for their mortal offspring, mm-hmm. that 
they either think of it as a mistake and don't care about it, or they're just unfeeling towards them. So I don't think you're going to get that fateful reunion with your lost parent and finally find that one elemental who, you know, like got together with your mom. Yeah. And also, you know, like genies and gins and things like that, like is an excellent possibility that you're the result of some sort of just like magic spell. Right. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, of course, not all Genasi come from, uh, elemental parentage either you know that that elemental could be much further back in your bloodline so it might be impossible to trace but i think in general elementals are probably going to be curious at you because you do look like them right but their reaction is going to be based kind of on what type of genasi are you are you part fire elemental like me are you part air elemental like me or are you water and thus very dangerous to me and i must put you out it's also quite possible that the elemental, at least, I mean, in general, elementals aren't usually thought of, like, pure elementals aren't thought of as having, like, you know, particularly high intelligence. Right. You know, uh, they just sort of, like, are focused on doing one thing. It might be that the fire elemental sees the fire genasi as a kind of abomination, right? Like, you're not hot enough. Yeah. <laughs> Let me teach you how to be warmer. Come yes. here. <laughs> Together, we shall burn everything. Yeah. <laughs> And I think the more intelligent elementals probably treat Genasi with curiosity because mm. they're rare and they're strange from an elemental's point of view. Yeah, and I think, remember that in 5th edition there are a lot of creatures that are not true elementals that are elemental creatures and are tied to a particular kind of um, element. So, like, gargoyles are a type of earth elemental. Yeah. Um, or, like, Azur, you know, the doors with fire heads. Right. Hey, you actually, fire genasi probably. probably yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, how do you uh, sleep at an inn? <laughs> I uh, bring my iron bed with me everywhere. Right. Obviously. <laughs> the iron pillow. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, you've left your home for whatever reason. You've become an adventurer. You are you know, wary of interactions with new people because you never really know exactly how they're going to respond to you. But what if you finally attached yourself to a real adventuring party? How do you get along with them? Certainly they think you're weird. You know, in 5th edition, there's a sidebar that describes the personalities of each type of genasi. And I kind of don't like it because it really focuses on some party unfriendly qualities. Hmm. Like it, it talks about, you know, the air elementals are haughty because they're proud and they think they're better than everyone that um you know earth elementals are very reserved and that fire elementals have quick tempers which i i get are sort of matching the elementals behind them but also like you don't want to become this like overbearing like invalidating other players choice right because like oh i have a quick temper so when they insult us during that negotiation i try and cut his head off that's like all right, but we were trying to have a negotiation here, you know? Like, we're not yeah. going to bring you around if you're going to be a powder keg. Because you'll ignite it because your hair is made of fire. Kaboom. Yeah. Dude. Um, yeah, I think we talked about character growth before. Like, maybe this is something that happens at, like, levels one or two, you know? but The level's most likely to get you killed? Great. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's when the barbarian is probably going to run into ha- combat and the paladin is going to smite anyone that pings his evil. True. <laughs> so... After that, you know, have a character that, like, learns. Yeah, you know, I mean, um, modulates (laughs) a little bit, you know. Also, remember that the 
like racial personalities are massive stereotypes in the book, right? So it's quite possible that your genasi plays against type or, you know, adjacent to type. It, it doesn't act like this, but knows that, you know, the majority of my people, like fire genasi, like we're, we're pretty brash tempered, you know, like I don't want to be that. I don't want to do that. But yeah, I understand how like sometimes it's difficult to deal with. Or even if you're playing in type, make sure that you're playing it in a party friendly way. So like, like that bad temper, right? It's like, I get angry. I'm about to scream. I walk out of the room instead of I'm getting angry. I'm about to scream. I pull my sword, right? right? You know, it's like, like highlight how you're focusing on fighting against that stereotype, right? Yeah. Or maybe you're the one who's always advocating. No, we should, we should attack. That's what we should do. But you don't do it on your own. Yeah, exactly. Like my vote is attack. Duh. Right. (laughs) (laughs) What do you want to do? Attack. Okay, cool. (laughs) Within the party, canny PCs can also kind of take advantage of the strangeness of their ally, right? Like mm-hmm. their their appearance might be unsettling to somebody who's not familiar with Janasi, or it might elevate their standing in certain circles. You know, we talked about temples that are dedicated to elementals, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but even more benevolent uh, temples as well. Yeah, I mean, I think that. People who aren't necessarily familiar with Genasi don't necessarily know their abilities. Right. You know, and if you look human-ish, you can. There's a lot of things that that you can do. Like a water Genasi can pretend to have drowned. Yep. Look what you did to our companion. Yeah. I cannot believe this. Certainly, we are due recompense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a uh, particularly handy for the air elemental, right? Yeah. <laughs> you just stop your breathing. <laughs> or levitate. You know, start deepen your voice a little bit and convince them that you are a god. <laughs> <laughs> In some settings where Janasi are viewed positively, you know, like Dark Sun, uh, it might be a boon to the group just to have a Janasi nearby, right? Mm-hmm. They might get favorable reactions in general to anything that they do because they're uh, acting under the purview of a Janasi. Keep in mind, too, that if you are an exile or you've got that. Um, kind of stuck between two worlds kind of half elf half orc thing right the group that takes you in and accepts you is going to be the one you're most loyal to right that might actually replace your own family connection Mm -hmm. because they genuinely like you and that doesn't happen a whole lot for people whose heads are on fire (laughs) (laughs) or whose skin looks like metal (laughs) unless of course you meet some of those other weird races out there that might have similarities to you. Yeah. Maybe the fire genasi get along really well with the Azur. Um, air elementals might get along really well with other creatures that naturally fly. Yeah, like Aarakocra or... Winged tieflings. Winged tieflings, yeah. <laughs> P- Paterans. Paterans, yeah. yeah. Or it could just be professions, right? Sailors love water genasi. Why? Because you can clean the barnacles off the hull. Right, exactly. <laughs> You know, uh, a group of elves or dwarves would probably be pretty partial to an Earth Genasi who probably shares similar objectives, right? Leave us alone and keep the Earth safe. Yeah, it's great to have, you know, an Earth Genasi take up home near the base of your tree house. Yeah. (laughs) A firm foundation. That's right. (laughs) It doesn't bother us. We don't bother it. Keeps the humans away. Right. (laughs) So what are some reasons for adventuring? What sets you on that path in the first place? Well, like we said, you might not have any other option. You could have been kicked out and you might be homeless. 
weirdo. Yeah, if you have a, a lousy childhood and you're tough enough to survive it in an uncaring fantasy world, then you're probably tough enough to survive adventuring too. You're also capable of doing things that other people aren't, which makes you a boon to a party. Yeah, I mean, you already mentioned the uh, the old, oh no, you drowned our friend deception. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's also just, you know, useful if you are worried about, you know, maybe a sunken temple that you're trying to raid for gold. Certain areas require you to be able to swim and get underwater. It's certainly an advantage to have a native swimmer doing that. Yeah. Uh, if I detect a trap and uh, I smell a bit of sulfur, yeah, <laughs> or maybe bat guano, right? Like I'm asking the fire genasi to go check it out. Exactly. <laughs> I think it's also fair to have a genasi who's seeking the truth about their elemental heritage, trying to figure out what that is and, and understand it and and understand what they are, because it's unlikely they're going to be able to find anybody who really knows. Yeah, but in a, you know, a traditional sort of D&D fantasy setting when each of these elements has certain proclivities uh, or, or even mysteries about it, it's certainly something that be, can become an, an object of, well, I mean, maybe worship, right? But probably mm-hmm. more just, you know, interest or fascination right. for someone who sort of has it running literally through their blood. Like reverence almost. Yeah. It could also be a source of revenge, right? Like, that genie certainly uh, left your father out, <laughs> like left him with a kid to raise and didn't bother showing up to help, so never sent me a birthday card. <laughs> Look at everything I've had to deal with. Look yeah. what you did to me. Exactly, yeah. The the highly solipsistic Janasi is going to be quite dangerous. Yeah, probably air. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, air Janasi. All right, so in 5e... With plus two con, that's good for pretty much any class. But at the same time, it's not the primary stat for any particular class. The only thing I really think of is like barbarian, which is sort of odd. Like all Genasi are like pretty good barbarians. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is fair. You know, you've been you've been picked on and prodded a lot. Mm-hmm. You could have some anger deep deep inside. That's true. A levitating barbarian. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> I like the flaming bear totem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. I set my hide armor on fire. Exactly. <laughs> so constitution is also super helpful for casters. First of all, because they have generally lower hit points, but then also because they're making concentration checks. Mm-hmm. So it's going to give them a better con save. So that's handy as well. Um, but then, you know, each elemental type gets a plus one in a different stat. So their effectiveness mostly ties to um, that secondary stat. So, you know, Air Genasi get a bonus to dex, so any dex-heavy class like Monk or Rogue is going to be a natural fit. Earth gets plus one to strength, so Barbarian, Fighter, Paladin, any of those melee classes are great. Yeah, I especially like it with Vengeance Paladin because it's really dependent on extra damage from Hunter's Mark, which requires concentration. So the con bonus is doubly effective if you're maintaining concentration. Because it's intelligence-based, the Fire Genasi is great for wizards and also Eldritch Knights. Less helpful for arcane tricksters because your head gives off light. Yeah, (laughs) it's hard to stay hidden. (laughs) Iron Skullcap. Right. (laughs) And then the Water Genasi with Wisdom Bonus is great for the Cleric and Monk. And the Caster Druid, uh, it's less useful for the Moon Druid because 
it diminishes the value of your utility shapes. Although I will say, if you are a Genasi who hates that you are what you are, turning into a normal animal might be very appealing. Yeah, that's actually kind of funny to think about that a druid changing shapes would probably be less rare and off-putting to people than a Genasi. Yeah. So in your in your beast shape, you're actually better understood and liked. Yeah. <laughs> that's a that's a cat. Right. Not a cat on fire. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so in combat, Genasi are quite capable, especially at taking damage. That plus two con makes them very sturdy. They've got a couple trick abilities, right? Each each different subrace has something that's useful in combat. They don't always scale super well, but I, what I like because of the bonus to constitution is that you can kind of jump into the middle of things. So even casters can use some of their more aggressive close range spells without necessarily worrying as much about getting, you know, one shotted. Right. And it works nicely for Gish characters. Yeah. Uh, Blade Singer is a great combo there. Unfortunately, there aren't any con based skills. So the skills you're good at are going to be based on the class you pick. And then, you know, you'll get a small bonus from your secondary stat bump. And then we also always talk about magic items that are related to the various races. And like so many of the rare races, there's not really Genasi-focused magic items. But there are some elemental-focused ones Mm -hmm. that I think are interesting to think about. So you've got the bowl, the brazier, the sensor, and the stone of elemental control. Those relate to each of the four elements. Uh, There's also the ring of uh, Ginny summoning and the ring of elemental command both of which would be kind of handy uh, if you're yeah. if you're seeking out <laughs> elementals as a genasi. Yeah, maybe what you really want to do is control them. I like that. Yeah. None of them are particularly tied to genasi, but it's an easy conversation to have with your GM. Or if you are a GM and you have a genasi player, <laughs> it's pretty easy to say, no, no, that ring of elemental command works on you. Oh, that's not fun. <laughs> then get it as a legendary item, so. Or maybe it can work on you. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like, you can break free of it because, like, you're just half. Right. <laughs> and then the other thing I, I like to think about as a Genasi who might be looking for information about elementals is you could become a collector of these types of magic items, right? Like, in seeking to understand, you're also accumulating these trinkets that um, help you. And then I also like the elemental gem, which is basically like a, a single shot use of conjure elemental uh, because there's, you know, an elemental trapped inside this gem and you break it to free the elemental. Uh, but I like the idea of the bitter Genasi trying to find their elemental parent and then trap them in a pokeball. <laughs> so you want to craft the elemental gem and then trap them inside. Yeah. In Eberron, uh, I could see a Genasi trying desperately to learn uh, the skills of elemental binding. Oh, yeah. Putting them inside kyber shards. Uh, However, (laughs) it's only the gnomes who know how to do that, and they jealously guard that secret. So that's an interesting plot hook, Mm. trying to wrestle those secrets away from the trust in Zalargo. Yeah, you'll have to like... (laughs) I I, I totally see how this works. You kidnap one of the Zalargo gnomes. (laughs) You, You... interrogate him extensively for this information and then you try and take down the whole organization it's like a whole campaign 
Yeah, that'll definitely work. Yeah. <laughs> you won't be killed before you even enter Zalargo. No, no, it'll be fine. <laughs> you definitely won't be trapped in a kyber shark yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, not at all. Am I elemental enough? Yep. <laughs> so we've talked a little bit about my Dark Sun character, Kid, who's a fire genasi and is a uh, you know fine omen for the uh, mercenary company that we're a part of and sort of that's his main role that's why he's welcome is because he is a genasi but so bright uh, quite bright he's the smartest one on the party yeah and too bright <laughs> <laughs> have you ever played a genasi uh i actually haven't i've never had a genasi character although i've always considered it because i like the idea of it um I, I like the sort of like strange looking people with weird heritages you know planes touched characters in general i really like asamar tieflings are great uh, but i've just never gotten around to playing a genasi and i think it's because in 3.5 i think they had a level adjustment oh that's annoying yeah yeah so sort of a pain to be able to play them yeah, yeah. But they're like just straight up man i wasn't ever gonna play that race yeah basically do you hear that ishan that is definitely not the sound of the trust sneaking up on us because they don't make any sound so before they get here, maybe we should move on to the character creation forge. Well, before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. Well, we do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sends Carne. That's Malice Minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us if you can't fit it into 140 characters at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrillCast.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at Total Party Thrill. So this week in the Character Creation Forge. Say it. We are building the Fistadin. Ah, yes. The Fistadin. A common trope of, no, no, no one ever does this. It's a paladin who punches things. That's right. In the vein of the Smite Biter, we bring you the Fistadin. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Okay, it is really hard in 5th edition to combine Monk and Paladin. As it should be. <laughs> <laughs> You've got all of these incompatible abilities, right? Like Monks can't wear armor at all, but Paladin gives you all the armor and the shields mm -hmm. and doesn't do anything with dexterity, which is why you need that armor and shield. And the Monk yep. is all dex, and their stats are all garbage. Dex, wisdom, strength, charisma. And note, they are the only two classes where you need more than one stat at 13 in order to multi-class into it such a freaking pain wonderful <laughs> yeah also they have redundant abilities like they both get extra attack and they both get immunity to disease it's just like oh well this is great at this level i get something i already have right <laughs> so it's complicated all right so where do we land the build is open hand monk eight devotion paladin 12 all right, and you mentioned the multi-classing requirement, so I'm guessing we're going to focus on Monk and go Dex Wiz, so we're going to start Paladin and avoid needing Strength or Charisma. Well, we're probably going to want the Charisma, a little bit of Charisma anyway. You've got that saving throw bonus that is going to be nice for you. But basically, if you start as Paladin, then you can definitely avoid the Strength requirement. 
Maybe you have a 13 charisma, maybe you don't. Whatevs. Okay. But then after that, yeah, you can get right into Monk with Dex Wisdom, both of which you're going to need because you can't wear that armor. Right. And have any usefulness as a monk. You can't use that shield. Yeah. So you're really going to need that Wisdom, plus all of your monk abilities key off of that Wisdom. So you get the traditional monk goodies, slow fall, step of the wind, all that kind of stuff. But the main thing that you really, really want is flurry of blows. And then also martial arts, you know, if you run into key points or you don't want to spend key, as a bonus action, you just make an extra attack. Yep. So you're making a bunch of attacks. Yep. What can you do when you make those attacks? I hear paladins have this smite ability. Huh. That's interesting. The thing that usually holds a paladin back in terms of like their damage output is they attack twice and so they can smite twice. Mm-hmm. But when you attack four times... You can smite four times. That's right. I mean, at least until you run out of spell slots. Yeah, which is going to be fast. Yeah. <laughs> we, we made a glassier cannon. <laughs> right. Lower AC. Yeah. <laughs> but man, so much output. We're going open hand, which means that you've got that opportunity to uh, force a deck saving throw or else they drop prone. So in your first attack, you're going to want to hopefully knock them prone and then all your other attacks get advantage. I, and I think you can do... You can target, you can trigger your open hand and a smite on the same attack anyway. Yep. So nothing holding you back. <laughs> That's right. Open hand, smite, hopefully drop them. All the others then come with advantage, which means you're obviously more likely to hit, but then more likely to crit as well. And anytime you crit, you want to smite. Oh, absolutely. So if you really needed to, you could, you know, hit four times, smite four times with an excellent chance of getting a crit in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. So you'll also end up being immune to disease twice, uh, or of protection. Actually, just once. Just once. Oh, okay. We did that we, one. We didn't double up we avoided on. It. Okay. <laughs> uh, you'll get order of protection, which will boost saving throws for your allies and yourself, and then you are immune to charm and frighten effects. As are your allies within ten feet of you. So you're actually much more party friendly than a traditional monk is. And at level eleven, as a paladin, you'll get an extra D eight on every attack which is better than going more monk to get higher fist damage you do a d6 with your fist a few more levels of monk you could get to d8 but i'd rather have an, a, a full extra d8 yeah, yeah exactly and then of course normally you go like vengeance paladin when you want to do a bunch of damage on every attack because you get hunter's mark but we've already got uh, the divine favor spell which is going to add a d4 to every attack it's only concentration a minute, but you don't need to switch targets, which is nice. And that way we get all the devotion goodies like the charm immunity. All right. So you're a punching paladin. How did you get here, Ishan? I think my fisted in started off, you know, training as a paladin, you know, actually in like a court, but quickly realized that they, they weren't cut out for the traditional gallant knight type of combat right okay. they're not strong they are they're dexterous they find that the the heavy armor actually prevents their movements so more often than not they're finding themselves shedding the armor or like reluctantly getting into it just for like a tournament or something like that and i think they they find that this bare knuckle combat uh, which is usually looked down upon as sort of like, you know, ruffians and fisticuffs mm -hmm. is much more to their liking. Okay. 
they're already at Paladin, right? They're devoted to a higher ideal. And that, I think, very easily leads them to discover that there is also like power within them. So I don't see them as at odds. I see this character as someone who sort of takes both, right? Like higher power and power from within and then merging them together. The honor comes from burying yourself, right? Stripping down the armor. I don't need the protection of metal. I don't need steel in my hand. In fact, I will take down evil with the strength of my own arm. Oh, okay. All right, I buy that. What about your fisted in? So I'm still a little inspired by last week's arena battles episode. <laughs> so my fisted in is a gladiator by background who is a paladin of cord. Oh, I like it. So cord being the uh, god of well, gladiators, warriors, wrestlers, those types of things. Uh, as a gladiator, it's, of course, it's always useful to be able to use your hands. So uh, rather than relying on whatever random weapons are thrown into the pits, you can always have something dangerous. And so, you know, you begin down that path, uh, but as you devote yourself to cord, you're kind of receiving that divine spark. Uh, so when you eventually leave the gladiatorial path, which would happen, you know, say about level one, um, you've got a little bit of that, like, kind of protect the weak right like like if gladiators are a noble profession who entertain the masses uh they also have a responsibility to protect those that uh, aren't ready for the pits and so you help your allies around you by becoming a paladin of devotion mm -hmm. because it's a it's a noble craft it's a trade it's not uh just a blood sport to a follower of court Plus, also, Cord loves it when like sweaty people wrestle each other. Exactly. Yeah. That's and that's the best way to give your aura to somebody. I think. <laughs> Stay close. No closer. <laughs> All right. If you want to support the show, the easiest way to do that is to leave us a five star review on iTunes. If you're willing to help us out, we'll read your five star review on the air. You can also find us on Stitcher. It's like a Pandora for podcasts. If you like or favorite us there, the algorithm will help other people find us. And what do we have planned for next week's episode? We're talking about the Goldilocks levels, that sweet spot, those middle levels when characters are powerful but not game-breaking. And in the Character Creation Forge? We are building Conan. The Barbarian? The Adventurer. The, the Destroyer? Destroyer? Yeah, all of the above. Okay. Well, that's it for episode 84 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we've lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.